storytelling is really the antidote to isolation. Stories are connective. They bring us together. They show us these common threads of experience and allow us to see patterns in how harm happens and also how cycles of harm can be disrupted. And how we tell stories is incredibly important too. All too often in the media, stories about crime and survivors are often sensationalized and leveraged for political agendas. I have a lot of personal experience with this, and that's why I think it's so important to offer a platform to amplify survivors in their leadership and in their power to talk not only about what happened to them, but also how they made meaning of their experience and found deeper purpose. Welcome to Crime Survivors Speak. My name is Aswat Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are a national network of 185,000 crime victims from across the country. If you haven't already subscribed to stay up to date on the latest episodes, you can do that on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming services by clicking on the link on your screen or going to the website at www.cssj.org backslash podcast. Man, today is a unique episode. So today I'll be talking with Annie Nickel. Annie is a survivor a partner of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. And guess what, y'all? Andy served as the producer of our Crime Survivors Beat podcast. And like many of us, Andy has been affected by violence. I'm excited about this. Welcome to the other side of the podcast. Looking forward to today's conversation. Well, thanks for having me. I think I came on as a producer when you were just a few episodes into season one, and I've really enjoyed my role behind the scenes, but you and I are always talking about, you know, who should we bring on the podcast? And I don't think it ever really occurred to us until one of our colleagues suggested that I be a guest. And we were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, it's great to be on the side of things today. Awesome. And if you all are listening now, Crusher, you all can see and hear the evolution of the podcast, right? <laughs> Since we first started last year, that's a lot of thanks to you, Annie, as well. So I want to dive into that podcast producer role, right? So as a producer on the Crime Survivors Week podcast, would you talk about how you see the role of storytelling in creating more safety and healing for survivors? Oh, man, I believe that storytelling is a vital part of healing and recovery and creating more safety for survivors. One of the most dangerous things that trauma does is isolate people and make them feel alone in their pain. And as we hear all too often on this podcast, that message is often really reinforced by the absence of resources or support in the aftermath of experiencing a trauma. So for me, storytelling is really the antidote to isolation. You know, stories are connective. They bring us together. They show us these common threads of experience and allow us to see patterns in how harm happens and also how cycles of harm can be disrupted. And how we tell stories is incredibly important too. As we see all too often in the media, stories about crime and survivors are often really sensationalized and leveraged for political agendas. As you know, as what I have a lot of personal experience with this, and that's why I think it's so important to offer a platform to amplify survivors in their leadership and in their power to talk not only about 
what happened to them, but also how they made meaning of their experience and found deeper purpose. To some degree, we all know what harm and violence looks like, but I think not enough people know what real healing looks like or that it's even possible. So that's been kind of a guiding principle for me and working on the podcast. You know, to be honest, the podcast has been a really important part of my own healing. Mm. I'm a survivor, but my experience is really different from most of the people we feature on the podcast. I'm a survivor of a high profile crime that people still talk about today and which was used by politicians at the time to actually change the landscape of the criminal justice system for the worse. So while I have the rare experience of being really publicly validated as a survivor, which is a privilege far too few survivors receive. There was also a lot of exploitation. Mm. There was a highly influential victims' rights movement that excluded and erased survivors from marginalized communities. So to get to work behind the scenes, amplifying those stories of those survivors and lifting up the incredible work they do, for me, that's a kind of counterbalancing of that erasure that has helped me heal too. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I tell you like the the importance of sharing our stories, the importance of listening to other survivors share their story is, you know, just been so healing and therapeutic for so many of us in this work uh, and so many people who have listened to the podcast as well. But Andy, I want to talk a little bit more about your survivor story. What was it like to have your personal trauma become the backdrop for a, a national conversation on crime and, and criminal justice over the past three decades? Yeah. Well, I'll begin by talking a little bit about what happened. So my sister was a girl named Polly Class who was kidnapped from our bedroom 30 years ago on the evening of October 1st, 1993. A man had followed Polly home earlier that day. He broke into our house while we were sleeping and he abducted her. And there was a nationwide search that lasted for almost two months until Polly's body was found. And as you can imagine, life changed really drastically after Polly's death. I was six years old when Polly was taken, which is too young to really process a trauma like that. Looking back, I really wish that we had been left to kind of grieve and heal in private, but Polly's case had been a leading news story the whole time she was missing. And then the media frenzy continued after her death. There was this national outpouring of grief and outrage. And even though her killer was caught and convicted, politicians realized that they could channel that outrage into sweeping legislative changes. And that's how Three Strikes was passed in California and across the country. So at this point, we've had three decades of Three Strikes, during which we've seen mass incarceration expand exponentially you know, with the worst impact on marginalized communities who are already most vulnerable to crime and violence. And it's incredibly painful to know that my sister was used to inflict that kind of harm on people. It has absolutely compounded my own trauma to see my sister's innocence weaponized in that way. And it's also really strange to be in this moment where so much of the rhetoric we hear around crime sounds so similar to what I grew up with 30 years ago. But 
One thing I know is that it's not too late for us to learn as a society to not use a tragedy like what happened to our family to pass more harm onto others. We really need policies that are driven by empirical data about safety rather than feelings of revenge and retribution. Wow, Annie, thank you so much for your courage, your bravery, you know, your sister not being here the past three decades and just seeing how the media and politicians use your sister's death, you and your family's experience to help birth this movement that we have called mass incarceration, have helped to advance policies and laws in California across the country that have the three strikes law, which many of our listeners, I'm quite sure you've heard that phrase before, but also a lot of these sweeping laws, you know, and sentenced to juveniles to long-term prison Mm -hmm. uh, sentences, a lot of the mandatory minimums laws that we have and the 32,000 laws that have been enacted over these past 30 years. And a lot of that was law enforcement and policymakers and media using your family's experience, which has caused more harm right, to mm-hmm. crime victims and also to communities impacted by violence and also impacted by incarceration. And so just thank you again for, for sharing your story. And like so many survivors, Annie, you know, you're now have been for the past few years stepping into advocacy. We'd love to hear what made you begin your advocacy journey. And we'd love for you to talk more about the new Legacy, which is a podcast that you have as well as like working towards this inclusion in this intersectional victims' rights movement? So it took a long time to get ready to kind of step into this work because there had been so much media exploitation around what had happened to Polly. You know, for many years, I really shied away from the spotlight. I was also really aware of how much damage had been done by this kind of pro-punishment victims' rights movement of the 80s and 90s, which was really dominated by some very outsized voices of victims that were predominantly white and privileged. So for a long time, I just felt really cautious knowing how much harm had already been done. But my sister, Jess, and I started talking about it more and more and wondering if there was something we could do to change Three Strikes. So a few years ago, we ended up cold calling the ACLU, just kind of fully expecting them to just suggest some like local organizations we could join or something, but the person we spoke to was really welcoming and eager to connect us to other people working in this space. So they put us in touch with the Stanford Three Strikes Project, who were amazing, and then ultimately the Alliance for Safety and Justice. And that's kind of where we started really learning about this survivor-centered safety movement being led by survivors who are most impacted by crime and mass incarceration. So Jess and I kind of came in very aware that we weren't policy experts, even though these are issues that we care very deeply about. So we decided we need to do an educational process. We need to learn more. We started our podcast, A New Legacy, kind of as a way to both enrich our own learning around these issues and also to share that knowledge with people who are wanting to learn more about this movement. So we've had conversations with people who were incarcerated under three strikes for decades And I think for me, those have been some of the most transformational conversations of my life, and they've really become the foundation of the new legacy that we want to create for Polly. 
Thank you, Annie. And for those of you who are out there listening, once again, stay tuned into all episodes of the Christ of Our Speak podcast. But if you want to, you know, learn and listen to another podcast, the new Legacy by Justin Annie is another podcast to listen to as well. And I want to actually go back to what you've mentioned. So October 1st, 30th anniversary of Polly's death was just last month, right, from recording mm-hmm this episode you know i know something we don't often hear people talk about is why anniversaries are hard for uh mm-hmm. survivors for years my shooting anniversary was extremely difficult for me so we often don't talk about that and i think this might be important for folks to understand about the long-term impact of trauma how was the 30th anniversary for you i'm not gonna lie it was really hard it's true anniversaries are are often really hard, even 30 years later. And I personally, I always kind of feel the weight of them when they get closer. And it's funny recording this right after Halloween because I think in a way, anniversaries are sort of like when the veil between your past and present is thinnest. And it's easier to remember who you were before you experienced a trauma and what the trajectory of your life was which in a lot of ways can be really painful because it's often really different than the person you are now who spent so much time trying to heal from that loss. And so this year, it was especially hard because one of the things that happens around round number anniversaries of high profile cases like this is that folks in the media see an opportunity to profit off of a story that made them a lot of money back in the day. So there were some true crime productions and publications that came out around the anniversary this year that honestly felt pretty re-traumatizing for me and others in my family. And we knew that by speaking out about them, that would kind of run the risk of giving that content more attention. So we had to sort of stay quiet and let it happen. And it really kind of hurt. Like, I wish we could live in a world where anniversaries are seen as a sacred time for survivors to really prioritize grief and receiving support. And for now, I just always encourage survivors to make sure that they are taking good care of themselves, to be gentle with themselves on anniversaries. A lot of feelings can come up and it's important that we learn to honor these really tender moments in our survivor experience in the ways that are most conducive to our own healing. So Annie and her family, it's the 30th year anniversary Many of you out there, it, it may be your one month anniversary, maybe a, a year or five years or 15. Annie mentioned take care of yourself. We know anniversaries are difficult to deal with, especially during holidays. As Annie mentioned, be gentle with yourself and your family and also take time to honor these moments as well. And once again, survivors who are on their healing journey, I recently heard about a member of Crime Survivor Safety and Justice in Texas who's also was coming up on an anniversary of losing her son to gun violence. And she talked about around the time of that anniversary, she wants to give back. So she gives back by volunteering. She gives back by helping other survivors as well. I just thought that was just so amazing of how during this month leading up to the anniversary or so she used it as an opportunity to give back to other survivors and volunteer which is just amazing to hear survivors supporting uh, each other as well it's amazing and you talked a little bit about this we'd love to go a little bit deeper you talked about how finding out about alliance for safety and justice and other organizations and kind of this new 
victims rights movement, how that helped you heal throughout your journey. How has your understanding of healing and justice changed since you began this work? And what have you learned from our survivor community in hearing these stories at things like Survivor Speak event and being part of this podcast? Oh, gosh, so much. <laughs> I I was just remembering, I, I spoke to a man at this year's Survivor Speak in California who had been recently released from prison. He was a restorative justice facilitator. Somehow I always end up hanging out with the restorative justice folks. Um, but he was telling me that what he had realized when he was in prison was that it wasn't up to him to be forgiven by the people he had harmed. And all he could really strive to do was to be worthy of their forgiveness. And I've heard that kind of grace expressed by so many different people who have managed to heal and take accountability for their actions with no real support when they were in prison. I can't imagine an environment that would be harder to heal in than in a prison, and yet people do. And that's shown me that there is something in us that wants to heal and be whole. And witnessing that in all of these conversations has really meant more to me than I can say. Growing up, I didn't really know what healing looked like. I didn't know that it was possible or that there was an alternative to this punishment paradigm of justice. And yet watching the impact of three strikes unfold in Polly's name, I knew it didn't feel like justice. I knew I didn't feel safe. And I think that's because deep down I knew that punishment isn't safety. You know, safety means giving people the opportunity to heal, to be accountable. And after doing that work, to take that wisdom and experience and help others. So, I mean, so many of the folks I've met who have experienced incarceration or been impacted by three strikes are some of the most remarkable healers I've ever encountered. And it's just so powerful to imagine how many more people could be contributing to this safety movement if we actually gave them the resources to heal mm. how many people could be contributing if we gave them the resources to heal and any just looking at the media in 2023 and we have a very big presidential election in this country and, and across the country we still continue to hear this narrative by law enforcement by legislators and by folks who are running for office, this thought of being tough on crime, right? Those same narratives that we've heard 30 years ago, we're still hearing those narratives about locking people up, more law enforcement on the street and being tough on crime as a way to help communities be safe. Andy, we'd love to hear from you, you know, what is your vision for safety in this country and what does safety mean to you? Yeah, I mean, for me, safety means replacing systems of punishment with systems of care. It's a really different way of thinking about it. And it's a funny thing because a lot of people, I think, who know my family's story think that the only meaning you can make of it is more punishment. Like, that's the only thing that most people can sort of understand. And I've made a really different meaning of my story. You know, I see. The idea of prevention means going way further back than stopping this specific crime from happening. It means going further back in the cycle of harm to ensure that people don't become capable of that kind of harm to begin with. 
So creating systems that are designed to disrupt harm, abuse, neglect, all of these systemic kinds of harm that people are still dealing with, that to me is what safety looks like. That is the best vision for safety in this country, in our communities. It's really about replacing systems of punishment with systems of care. Andy, my last question for you, and just thinking forward to the ways you want to support and advocate for survivors. We have listeners from all across the country and all across the world. What are some of the ideas or or things you have in mind uh, to better support and advocate for survivors? I would really like to explore imagination and creativity as a vital part of sustainable activism. We see so many survivors implementing these incredibly creative solutions in their communities, which is really hard work, but it's also really inspiring. And I imagine a lot of that comes from the innate creativity of people who can sort of see through barriers to new ways of creating safety and healing. And I know for myself that my creative practices give me the energy that I need to be able to advocate for the things I care about. Actually, I don't know if you know this about me, Aswad, but I'm I, I'm a writer, I'm a novelist, actually. You know, at any given moment, I probably have like four novels that I'm working on. <laughs> when I'm like out in the world, half of my brain is just thinking up story ideas or like working on, you know, solving plot holes. And so long as that part of me is kind of awake and aware and dreaming up new stories to write, I know I can kind of summon the strength to do hard things. So yeah, I really like the idea of working with other survivors who want to resource themselves through creativity. And that can come in so many different forms, right? Like art, music, writing, spoken word poetry, you know, anything. But I think that imagination is a really important part of how we can change the world. So I love the idea of just broadening the scope of our imaginations as survivors with as much freedom as possible. And going forward on this podcast, I hope we can learn more about what people do to cultivate their own expressions of creativity in their lives. Wow. Amazing. I have so many ideas now. So many ideas uh, <laughs> on what we will do together, you know, with crime survivors, with safety and justice, just on really elevating that creativity of survivors across the country, as you mentioned, so many survivors and organizations are just doing incredible work. I know my email will be going off the hook of my phone and calls and text messages. Like I heard what Andy said, I have, you know, I've been doing this, you know, I would love to partner with Christ Our Safety Justice on that. So I, I'm looking forward to 2024, Andy, working more with you, you helping to transform how we share our stories, the creativity that we have. I'm a writer as well. I do want to plug. I did release a children's book called The Stars Represent You and Me. And it's a story about the last summer that I spent with my best friend before he was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting in 1993. And so part of my journey has been writing as well. So Andy, we got a lot to talk about. I know so many of our survivors have also wrote just amazing poetry, just so many creative ideas. I'm looking forward to that being another part of our conversation as part of the Crime Survivor Speak podcast as well. So if you all are out there listening, this will not be the last time you hear from Andy. We're going to pull her from behind the scenes more. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm all in. Oh, <laughs> uh, Let's make it happen. Y'all heard it here first, y'all. So Andy, once again, thank you so much for 
being a leader in this new movement and, and being able to, with you and Jess and your family, being able to have that courage, change a harm that has devastated families and communities across the country, but it helped to rebuild this new vision of what safety looks like. And it's really about replacing those systems of punishment with systems of care. Andy, thank you so much for being on this side of the Crime Survivor Speak podcast. Once again, thank you all to everyone that's listening to today's episode. If you are inspired, I know many of you are. If you haven't became a member of Crime Survivor Safety and Justice, you can do that now by going to our website at www.cssj.org. Remember, you can tune into all podcast episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. We are healing through action. I'm healed in so many ways just from listening to you today, Andy. And we know that when survivors speak, change happens. So thank you again, Andy. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of the Crime Survivor Speak podcast. Uh-huh.